Welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast, where we are practicing the art of kindness and civil discourse and authenticity and storytelling. Our goal is to foster a healthy dialogue about race relations in our community. We seek common ground for common good and hope these conversations encourage you to build authentic relationships outside your race or comfort zone. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. We are your hosts. I am Waylon Cubitt, and this is Cece. Are you waiting on me? That's Cece. Cece United Jones. Voice podcast. I mean, where else are we? It's Cece Jones-Davis. Oh, yeah, that's where we are. That's who I that's am. Where, yeah. Forgive us, because there's this awkwardness that we got going on. COVID has created <laughs> Zoom awkwardness, and so yeah. we're not able to feel the room and, and, and stuff. So we're doing this via Zoom uh, because we're being socially safe with uh, COVID is still a real thing in our world. And But today, we'd like to welcome Anitra and Court Thomas to the hey. podcast. Yay. Thanks, you guys, for having us. Right. So they are a couple with five kids who live in the Deer Creek area, which is a, a suburb of Northwest Oklahoma City. And you may have seen them on the news recently because of a story of a mural on their fence that was created as an opportunity for members of their community to talk about race and race relations. We're going to chat to them today about their perspectives and experiences as a black family in a predominantly white Oklahoma City suburb. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome, Anitra and Court. Thanks Thank you, guys. Thank yeah. y'all. Listen, will you guys start us off by um, telling us about yourself. I'm so fascinated that you have five kids because you don't see so many young couples these days like having five kids. So I'm really fascinated. Tell us where you're from. Tell us about, tell us, give us, tell us everything. Okay. Well, I'll start. I'm from Oklahoma, born, bred. I've been east side. I graduated from Douglas. I went to Northeast. So I'm like, for real, <laughs> inner city, east side, more than bread. You're laughing because of my facial expression. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is, but I'm like the, the, the coolest black guy ever. And I'm the only black guy that ever we have on here that's from Millwood. We got to do better. Yeah. <laughs> you got to find some Millwood peaks. Good luck with that. So. I can I introduce so. you to a few. I'm not hating, I'm not hating yeah. on the Dallas, but come on with it. Come on with it. So um, I met Court. 12, 13 years ago now, we have five kids, 13 almost, nine, six, four-year-old, unexpected, still unexpected, almost five years later, twins. It's the twins. twins. We'll be married 10 years on the fourth, coming up. Wow. So, yeah, we've just been doing this fake suburbia life. <laughs> Mm-hmm. for the last few years here. So we're kind of new to this too. I'm definitely new to this because right. as I said earlier, I grew up on the all black East side. So mm-hmm. being out here in the, the birds is uncharted territory for me. Mm-hmm. So right. How long do you live? This guy's a little different though. Mm-hmm. How long do y'all live there? We've been out here for about three and a half years. Yeah, we've been three in Deer half. Creek for Almost four, and but we, we moved from Edmond. Yeah, we were in Edmond for, we moved out there when they was two. So, so we were there for the same amount of time. 
Okay. And what about you, Court? Are you from Oklahoma City? Oklahoma? No, I'm, I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana. Okay. Uh, and I came out here, I was in the Air Force. My first duty station was Tinker Air Force Base. Mm -hmm. And uh, I moved out here August 1999. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, I didn't technically grow up here, but I grew into a man here, mm -hmm. if you will. I was 19 when I came out here. So right. uh, I grew up, she's just making fun. I grew up black. So that means I grew up in a predominantly black community. Um, and when, we, when I was in high school, we moved out a little bit further. And so I went to a high school that was predominantly white. So I, I mm -hmm. did my high school time there and then I left and joined the Air Force after high school. So I've been around Oklahoma for 21 years now. And after I got out of the military, I, uh, I met a girl, I met another girl, I met a whole state of girls. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but then but wait a minute but then let's get to the good you know, found a woman right you and found a big one and we, we had some kids together so like, amazing we, yeah that's amazing that's good, that's good. and so, so what tell us you about the experience tell us about the experience uh from the east side to edmund to uh to deer creek that was a, that's an interesting experience for me. I didn't, I wasn't familiar with like white friends or, you know, non-black social circles until I became an adult. You know, you grow up on the east side, you go to all black church, you go to all black schools, you have all black family. So it probably wasn't until I maybe turned 19, 20, 21, that I started to have different friends and be around different people who didn't look like me. So I kind of always felt like I didn't really know where to fit in. I use a lot of urban slang. I like a lot of trap music, you know, the, you know, black culture. I love the black culture. <laughs> yeah, not, so, not, not Langston Hughes. Not that black culture. Not that black culture. Not the Renaissance area. Right, yeah. not that black culture. He's not black. Right. right. Oh my God! <laughs> Our listeners might not even know what trap music is. Can you? Okay. Yes. Yeah. So give us trap music. Give us. Yes. An, what is it? Explain. Like, give us an example. Do you know, like, an artist or something? A trap music. Who would be a anybody with Lil in front of their name? <laughs> That's a good experience. You got Lil in your name. Not little people. Not, not little. Lil. L I L. L I L. Right. Got Lil in your name. Oh yeah, that's her favorite. Two chains. Two chains. Yeah. Okay. All right. So anything that you hear, anything that you hear, and it makes you want to go, makes you want to rock a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> make you want to look behind you, start shaking your booty. Yeah, yeah. track. You need a mirror okay. so you can see the backside. Yeah, I, yeah. I get it. I get it. That is so funny. So for the for the cultural competency of all of our listeners, just look up a who is it? Two chains. Two chains. Some, okay. some little John. Okay, look up some little John. Some and then you know you'll be able to know what, what we're yep, talking about. Then you'll, you'll be able to figure it's it out. Education. Okay. Yeah. I have to say, I have ask to say, your kids. It, it doesn't kids matter know. what race you are. If you ask yeah. your kids, you, white kid, you will definitely you. get a song. They'll be like, five. oh, little Dirk and little baby. Yeah, that's yeah. my favorite. Yep, there you go. It's <laughs> that music, Cece. It's that music that uh, I find myself dancing to, turning up, and ten. A week later, I'm listening to the words. And I'm going, "What am I listening exactly. to?" That's the music, exactly. right there. That's it. Yeah. That's the that's yeah. the music. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Exactly it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was odd for me to run in different social circles that I wasn't. What made used you to. want to do it? If you were comfortable on the east side, what made you was it court that said, Hey, we gotta move away from here? What was the motivation for moving away? What, it was what, what one happened? motivation and that was my my kids. You know, if we're just being one hundred percent transparent. I did not want my kids to be subjected to a subpar education, subpar accommodations for school or resources or just, you know, the lack thereof. And I knew that moving closer to this area, there were going to be so many more things available for my children, especially for them to get to the point to where we want them to be academically, that we want them to be socially. We needed to be away from the east side in order to do that because Oklahoma doesn't present an opportunity for black suburbia or a culture that would necessarily show something that we don't necessarily want our kids to to see all the time. So unfortunately, because it is unfortunate that we had to move away from the east side and move closer out this way to give our kids something something different that's the only reason that i would say why is it why why, so is it i want to keep the culture the trap music per se now i want to keep the culture i want to keep the church i want to keep all that stuff but i can have that world and the the in uh the the education and the opportunities in the same place yeah is that what you're saying the unfortunate part of it is that that's how she felt about it and that's I'm not I'm not born and raised here, so right. I have a better understanding of it now, but I haven't always had the greatest understanding of it. But there's also there's also the side of it where the east side is black. You know what I'm saying? For the most part, it's, most of the people are black, which is cool. I'm good with that. But I had a I don't like to use this this word exactly, but I had a more diverse upbringing. So I think it's beneficial and ultimately a boon for kids to grow up in an area where there are other types of kids around, white kids, Indian kids, whatever, you know what I mean? And so I'm, I'm not necessarily uncomfortable with it the way that she is because I've, uh, I've I've worked in tech for the last, was it 2020, 15 or so years. And you'll find that as you, as you move, up i guess in tech you see less black faces and then i told you i went to a predominantly white high school which is not predominantly white anymore (laughs) you know what i mean but when i went there it was um and so i'm just i'm used to being like it was a lot like deer creek school systems when, when i moved out there right and so I came up that way and we were in assemblies of God church. So there were, there were black people there, but our church was predominantly white at the time too. And on the other side of it, I come from a huge family and I think we got one or two white people in our family. His granny has 21 kids. Yeah. So, so I got a big, big family back home. And uh, so I was always surrounded by uh, black people. So it's, it's not, I felt like it did me more good by far and away, it did me more good than harm 
to go to a school like the high school that I went to. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. A, a diverse upbringing kind of prepares you for the diverse world. It does. For, think, for most kids, agree for, with that. Yeah. yeah. For most verticals, if most industries you're in, if you're successful, the higher up the ladder you go, the less black faces you're going to see. And that really is just a matter of numbers, right? We're 13% of the population. So right. unless you are rapping or playing football or something like that, you're going to, as you climb and hopefully be successful, see more white faces. And I didn't want for our kids to become professional adults and that'd be the first time they saw a bunch of white faces in the room That's good. And, and thus felt ostracized. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I need for them to understand uh, how to move in those types of environments. Yeah. So I'm always, I was always the one telling her, hey, look, this, this will be a boom for us. You know what I mean? You just got to kind of stay the course. And I've seen her grow in ways that she didn't think she was going to grow because of where we are, because mm -hmm. she's around different kinds of people didn't come up like her. And mm -hmm. she's been able to, you know, I don't necessarily want to speak for you the whole time. These are conversations that we've had, right? She's yeah, been able yeah. to- Well, let us in on the conversation. We, that's well, she's been able to find common ground with people that she didn't think she'd be able to find common ground with. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? That, that's a that's a necessary skill to be able to relate to people who on the surface, you ain't got nothing to relate to them about. You know what I mean? That, that's a real skill. It enables you to connect to people in a meaningful way. And once you are able to connect to people in a meaningful way, you can have meaningful conversations that matter. But yes. you can't have those conversations unless you connect with them. You see what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like it's been a boon for her, me, uh, the jury's still out on whether or not it's a boom for the kids. They're still all young, so yeah. we'll see. <laughs> so tell us, no, go ahead, I'm, I'm sorry, Cece. No, I was just gonna ask you, um, compared to what you know as a person that grew up in Oklahoma City, um, on that side of town, I wonder, like, tell people the difference between the schools. Like, Deer Creek is what, number one? In terms of like public education? It Deer might be one or two, it's either, Deer Creek is one and Piedmont is two or vice okay. versa. I'm not okay. sure. But not only did I grow up in Oklahoma City public schools, I worked in Oklahoma City public schools for a few years. And to just see the kids that were there, you know, the type of homes they come from, a lot of them have to either come from single parent homes or two, work, two parent working homes to where their parents aren't necessarily available to be present at the school or to even be present at home sometimes for a lot of them being responsible for raising their siblings or even things like kids who are super smart and excel very well academically, not being able to get the things that they need in class because it's 28 students and 23 of them have behavioral issues. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't think that's okay as a parent or as a teacher, you know, you almost get pushed to the, the side because you don't have a behavior issue or emotional issue or some type of outburst. And to just see teachers who are there to get their student loans paid off or not to really be devoted to teaching and making a difference in these kids lives like i don't that has never ever said well with me and mm -hmm. i knew that i just i didn't want that 
for my own kids. I wanted nothing more than for my kids to grow up and be around mostly kids that look like them. I because I enjoyed that experience as a child, you know, going to high school with kids that looked like me, um, that enjoyed the same things that I did, or, you know, just not having to worry about where I fit in. I knew I would fit in with a certain group of people if by no other reason that we looked like each other. So I was a bit apprehensive about the kids coming out here because I knew that they would be the minority. And then to hear people tell me, I remember uh, specifically at the school that we were going to, the kids were at before, the principal there was black. And I told her that we were getting ready to move to Deer Creek so the kids were coming out of school. And she said, you know, I used to think that that was the same, the best decision for my kids too. And I, I had to move my kids out because of the racism that they experienced and how uncomfortable they were with going to school. So beware when you get ready to move out there and you experience, you introduce your kids to a whole new world that they probably wouldn't experience otherwise. So of course that made me feel uncomfortable, but I'm more uncomfortable with the things that I see and witness firsthand in Oklahoma City public schools. Like I much rather take the risk at racism than I would at my kids being undereducated, mm. a district being underfunded, mm-hmm. understaffed. I can keep going. Yeah. So That's I mean powerful. at that point it was like pick my poison almost. Yeah. What was the conversation really like? Powerful. What was that conversation like as a as as couple going, all right, this is the warning. Here's the, here's, they, we believe that a racism, you know, battle is coming, but, but tell me how you all reconcile that amongst yourself. There's a couple of things like, one, I know that, I know that when, when you hear someone say, hey man, there's racists out there. Some of that doesn't necessarily you know, and I'm not speaking to any specific anecdotes, but I know that if somebody's like, hey man, 10 racist people, probably about four or five of them are really actually racist. And the other ones might just be ignorant or obtuse, maybe a little boorish, whatever. That doesn't bother me much. So we, the conversation we had was about showing up at the school and make sure that we cover our kids. We, we gotta be there covering it. And there's a lot of things that that we try to take personal responsibility for rather than offload responsibility. Um, listen, we got a lot of kids. <laughs> so, so we want to make sure that it doesn't just fall on the school to educate them, right? Read with them at home, do math with them at home. You know what I mean? Don't just send them to school and be like, oh, what'd you do at school today? And that's it, right? You have to take some responsibility because they are your kids. Same thing with stuff like protection and things like that. We, we look at those things as if they're our responsibilities first. So we just had to dig in and say, okay, what do we need to be doing to make sure we were already at, I was the mascot at Charles Haskell Elementary School. And in retrospect, it was probably a bad look because it was a giant raccoon. So I was dressed <laughs> as a giant coon. <laughs> like looking back on it, it's like, ah. Yeah, I just thought about that right now. So looking back on it, it's like, ah, maybe not. But that just shows you the level of involvement we were at. Bro. You know what I mean? And so we just decided, yeah. We're going to have to keep that same level of involvement. And at the time, Anitra wasn't working. And I was working. So, and you see that a lot 
in uh, in homes out here, right? In, in families out here where one's working and somebody else is staying home because they're resourced in order to be able to do so. So we kind of rolled that out as much as we could and, and made sure that, hey, new school district, Nietzsche, you need to be at the school. And, and the other part of it is you can't necessarily let somebody tell you, hey, man, white folk out there, et cetera, et cetera. You can't let that scare you away all the time because some of us are emissaries. Not all of us, but some of us are. You see what I'm saying? Like, I know old men who were grown men with families when the Civil Rights Act was signed. And now all of a sudden they could go places where they couldn't go before by law. You know what I mean? Well, the law may have changed, but the sentiments didn't change at all. So who were the emissaries that went out and ate at those restaurants and did those things? You know what I'm saying? Because then they ushered in the people that were able to follow. You see what I'm saying? And not all of us are that. And I'm not there to put that on everybody. I'm comfortable in that role. You know, and I have this conversation with my sister. Like, I'm comfortable in that role to where, oh, it's a bunch of white faces out here. They might be hostile to you. I'm cool with going out there and be like, hey, y'all, I'm black. Hi. You know what I mean? And kind of, and, and being amongst them and making them. And I wasn't. And making them know. And you weren't. You know I mean? And I was so. not at all. Like me and, uh, like I said about meeting Cece earlier, that might have been the very first time I might have started to notice like, dang, I am the only black woman everywhere. Like, Listen, let me tell you something. So, me, so for the for folks listening, me and Anitra met at a MOPS, uh, Mothers with Preschoolers um, program. Um, and I had just moved to, to Oklahoma and um, I needed to find a niche somewhere. And so I went to this event and I believe it was you and I, Nietzsche, we were, it was at a church. We were the only African-Americans mm-hmm. there. If, yeah. I, if I remember, and we might've been the only people of color there, which is okay. I'm just, pre- I'm just, you right. know, speaking facts here. And you look so comfortable in this environment. And I thought you had been here rolling, rolling deep at this for a really long time, you know? <laughs> and um, I just remember feeling like, wow, this is, before I got here, she must've been all by herself. You know, and you, you seem so, so comfortable and it was a great, you know, great group of people, et cetera. But you did stick out to me, obviously, because you were the other brown person in the room. But, um, but you did. You seemed so comfortable. And yeah. I, you know. And I think that's because my oldest is going to the eighth grade. So minus a couple years at Martin Luther King, she's been in Edmond schools. And I've always been on the PTO from the very start of school. So always being the only brown face at the table, I think I started to figure out a way to almost mask my uncomfortability, I guess. Because I was definitely uncomfortable. I never knew what, it, what was okay to say, what was not okay to say. Or if I was a little standoffish, if people would automatically assume that I was the mean black girl. Or, you know, it's just always these preconceived notions that, might be real or we might make up in our head that definitely did stand out to me throughout even now a little bit it's not as out loud in my head as it once was but yeah there are moments when I'm like dang can I get some black neighbors or (laughs) can it be some other brown people on the street or another brown person in mops like please 
But you know what, that, that brings us to the point. And we are far along this conversation and we haven't even gotten to like the biggest part. Uh, and that just really goes to just how fascinating y'all are. But I wanna talk about your neighborhood and the, the Black Lives Matter mural that popped up uh, on your fence. Because um, I know that that made news at a really, really critical time. Uh, can you guys kind of, for people who don't know the story and haven't seen it on the news, can you tell us what happened? So I have a neighbor who I'm pretty close with and she has amazing handwriting skills. So when this all came out and people were, you know, living out loud, I was like, was this hey. George Floyd? Was this George Floyd? Yeah, the George okay. Floyd incident. Okay. Um, I said, hey, Afton, come by my house and tag my fence Black Lives Matter. Because we live on a corner lot. So if you coming in our neighborhood or coming out of our neighborhood, out of our neighborhood, you have to drive right past our house. So it's out loud. It's it's for everybody to see. And I, I was like, no, you know, I don't, never mind, don't worry about it. I feel a little uncomfortable and I don't want to make my neighbors feel uncomfortable. And then in the back of my head, I was a little nervous about any negative backlash. Like, is somebody going to come and paint on my fence? Or is somebody going to do something rude? And I have to explain that to my kids. So I took it back. But Acton was like, no, I think this is a really good idea and I'm going to come over and I'm going to write it on your fence anyway. And she came over and she wrote it on the fence. And we just left it at that. A couple days go by and people are tagging our fence. Again, we're the really, we're basically the only black people on our street or on like the next few blocks over. People start tagging the fence with all types of encouraging words. We stand with you, we're not silent. You know, don't think that because we're not black that we don't understand what you're going through. You know, just all kinds of really nice, thoughtful gestures. And at first it was just the people on our street, in the street behind us, like people we actually have a rapport with. And then I posted it on a Deer Creek Parents page, which is mostly all of the parents in the Deer Creek area. So random people in the area started coming by and tagging the fence. And that's how it ended up getting the news's attention is because you know people started reposting it and sharing pictures of the fence and things like that but it just really did take off all on its own just from me asking Afton to put the Black Lives Matter on there I didn't think that people were going to come by and say the things that they said at one point it got to the sidewalk because there was nowhere else to sign the fence anymore so it was it was a really, really sweet and thoughtful gesture. And uh, what was it, maybe a couple weeks ago, it rained really bad and it washed the fence completely out. It had been up for maybe a month or two at this point. And one of my neighbors came back and rode on the fence again. The rain can't keep us from supporting you and black lives still matter, rain or shine. So, you know, like people are, are definitely showing that they're standing with us and that they're, they are not silent, but you know, it's, that's basically how it came about. Now, so there was a, so there were some. I'm sorry, Waylon, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just asking Court, like what his reaction was. That is, I mean, that just gives me goosebumps. What was your reaction? Yeah, it, the, the outpouring of love from our neighbors was probably the main thing that I focused on. Because when I saw it on the fence at first, she didn't tell me that this was going on. 
So I was coming home from somewhere and I saw it on the fence. And when I saw it, my first reaction was like, man, get this off my fence. Because, and the reason for it is because the, the sentiment I'm good with, but the organization, I didn't want anybody to think I'm tied to the organization because I don't really support that organization. So the, the sentiment I'm good with, I'm like, man, I don't need that here. But when I started seeing how people came to the fence, I realized that it was kind of a moment of catharsis for our neighborhood because the, what Anitra didn't tell you is that she said that we have a group me thread with all the people on our street and a couple people on the other streets. We, we are neighbors with our neighbors. We ain't just people that live at the end of the street. We have progressive dinners at people's houses. We hang out tea with each other. We, we know our neighbors. We've been neighbors with them. So we knew that these were decent people. But she sent out a message to our group me that said, hey, look, I know there's a lot going on right now. And I know that there are various sentiments flying around in the ether. Uh, if y'all want to talk about something, our door's open. Come holler at us. And, and that was big for me. I was really proud of her for doing that because and I chimed in like, listen, whatever you got to say, come say it because we'll come from a place of love. Yeah. And what happens is when things like this happen, people don't really know what to say. Sometimes white people don't know what to say. It's like, man, I'm not really, I, I don't want my silence to be looked at as, as, com, as being complicit. You know what I mean? I, I want to be able to say something. I got questions. I got things I want to know. I, I, I don't have a full understanding of what's going on. Right. So to see the support from our neighbors and kind of see how they gathered around it mm -hmm. and, and how we used it as a place to rally, those conversations, they started to happen. People started text messaging me like, hey, man, you know, Let's wrap a taste, you know, let, let's sit down and talk for a few minutes. Or things just like, I know the day the news came, a couple black ladies just drove by. I think one was like a male lady or something. She was delivering packages. And when she I say sobbed mm -hmm. in yeah. our driveway, because she has three older sons, one that goes to Langston, I think she said one goes to UTO and one might go to school in Louisiana, like grown sons. And she mentioned that she was fearful, about what was going on in in society and almost kind of apprehensive of white people and to see something like that so something something as simple as a fence and sidewalk chalk yeah. kind of softened her heart and changed her perspective you know moved everybody that was out there me i was crying she was crying <laughs> court was handing up tissue my neighbors were crying because i don't think that they you know, it's one thing to know black people, like they, they know us, but to see another black person for real impacted by yeah. what's going on around you just has to naturally tug at your heartstrings. Like if you don't feel a way about that, then, you know, you really, you really got a heart issue going on. So for them to witness that firsthand, I feel like did something for them, just like it did something for that black lady driving through our neighborhood. Like, the yeah, so there's one thing to listen to, listen to these experiences that they've heard for years. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, for, for years and years and years, they've heard it, you know, I think consciously with their ears. But what, but what is happening now in the wake of George Floyd, I feel like, and it's what you're saying, is that they're not, they're listening with their heart all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And because you, because you have relationship on your street, this, this now, you can get behind uh, a principle a lot easier when you know people mm -hmm. behind the principle. So Black Lives Matter is not necessarily 
uh, a, a thing, it's a it's a it's tied to a person. Yeah. And when you put it on your fence now, and they know court, they know the Thomas family. Uh, this is this is a bigger thing. It's so easier to connect, and so uh, uh, connection is caring, and caring can change things mm -hmm. uh, for the better. And so that's what I think is a perfect example. You all, we, we talked a few, maybe a month ago. I don't know if we met. We met together before your fence or after the fence thing. It was uh, after. It was the right fence. after. Yeah, right, right after. After, after the fence. The so I didn't even know the fence had happened, and so yeah, right the motivation. So you you were so you guys were going to take that energy of the fence and you were thinking about doing something, taking that energy and doing something else with that. Talk about what you were thinking about doing. Well, what what ended up happening is people started started kind of grab it, it created a gravity at our house and people just kind of started to you know come towards it. And so um, somebody that Anitra knows from Facebook, I, I work in the office at the front of the house, so I look out the window all day and I just saw her come up to the door and they was looking at the fence, her and her daughter, and this black lady and her daughter. And she was talking about, you know, I just wanted to come by, say hi to Nitra, et cetera, put something on the fence. And she had her daughter with her. And they, we, we just kind of had a conversation about it. And this was after, was it after we'd seen the Facebook, you'd seen the Facebook uh, thread? So this is after the Facebook thread. And she was talking about the Facebook thread and Anitra excuse me, and I'm just out there talking to her and her daughter was out there and I was just like, well, I understand how uh, black kids that live out here can feel ostracized. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I, I've, I've been in that situation before. You know what I mean? Where, where it's like, I can remember my first day of school in high school, it was a new school. I wasn't from the district. Most of the kids were white and I just walked around uh, before that opening bell, looking for the black kids. I was like, man, where are the black kids? You know what I'm saying? Where are they? Because I had just come from a super hood junior high school to this township school, and I finally found them. They was all in one hallway, standing up against <laughs> But I know what that can be like to uh, be one of a few. You know what I mean? And, and that doesn't mean you need, and that, and that can happen without any sentiments without any bad words without anybody saying anything just, to you just the optics can make you feel it can make way. you feel it, it 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 can it really can and so she was talking about it and we were trying to encourage her to start i was trying to encourage her to start her own uh like black student union because she's like a junior or a senior she's like an older yeah an yeah. older girl so, and i remember her mentioning that the the staff almost made her feel like that idea wasn't welcome right like a so, black student union is not a thing that so we're we gonna figured, allow. We figured as parents, we should probably try to help mm -hmm. kind of inject um, some of that security for the kids. Cause they are just kids and kids think they grown now, but they're children. You 17 years old, you're a child. You 19, you're a child. <laughs> and nothing makes children feel more secure than their parents getting it back. You know what I mean? Like, listen, you do this, we have your back. And they start seeing grown people line up behind them. So we wanted to figure out a way to establish uh, some sort of protocol and avenue where kids feel more comfortable with, um, you know, being proactive about stuff like that. And then uh, we, the, the Facebook posts and all that other stuff came you in. You gotta explain it. the Facebook post. I, I'll let her explain the Facebook posts because I've never actually seen them. I've just had her read a few of them to me, but I, I'll, let, I'll let her explain it. 
So I have a cousin who recently graduated from school in Deer Creek, maybe five years ago. And they've gone to school in Deer Creek from the time they started school, basically. So for the 12 years. And right at the height of the George Floyd incident, she made a post on Facebook that said, tell me about the first time you experienced racism in Deer Creek schools. And Jesus Christ, it might have been 90 comments on that thread. Uh, things like, my teacher was talking about slavery and she pulled the only black kid in our class to the front of the class to demonstrate how to pick cotton. Or things like, my teacher kept using porch monkey over and over in conversation. Or things like, the, the football boys sat in class in front of our teacher and continued to say how they hate and especially the football boys and how they want to kill them and not be associated with black students. And that the staff did nothing, like for a teacher to be there and witness that firsthand. And then for that thread to turn into another thread that somebody else shared that ended up with another 60 plus comments about racism that they've experienced in Deer Creek. And I took those two posts and put those on our Deer Creek parents board, like, hey, wake up. It's happening in somebody's kids in this group. <laughs> it's being racist towards other kids at Deer Creek. And then for parents to reply to me with, we know we've had these conversations with other parents about their students doing this this very thing because of several of the posts openly mentioned teachers by name who are still in the district openly mentioned students by name who are still in the district and everybody was like but it's fine though like <laughs> it's not that big of a deal we'll take care of it on the back end and for the administration to not think that we need to implement some type of plan or some type of protocol or a person for students to feel safe, like they have somebody to go to, was not okay with me. So a friend in the district who reached out to you, Waylon, I believe, said that, you know, let's get together and create a town hall to where we can talk about this as parents and as administration about what we can do going forward. Where are, where are we on that? Where are we on that? We're nowhere because, believe it or not, no one wants to participate. No one wants and, to participate. And what we, don't, <laughs> what we don't want is for the conversation to take the wrong tenor. Yeah. Because here's the deal. The, the, the rub is, the, the paradox is, okay, we have these things that are happening. And some of that, because we all know how human beings are and how kids are, some of that are just kids being kids. You know what I mean? Like, we we not talking about all of this being like, oh, they trying to hang our kids from trees sorts of deals. But here's the deal. There's not a lot of black people in Deer Creek. Period. We, if, if we don't have a unified front, if we're just talking about we the black community of Deer Creek and y'all the white community of Deer Creek, y'all need to do better by us, why should they care? And, and I'm not saying that to, to, to be dismissive. Why should they care? That's a natural human posture. They should care because we members of their communities. Those kids are kids in the community just like your kids are. 
And if we don't see ourselves as in the community together, mm-hmm. they're not going to care, man. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. I know that's how people are. I know that it's like, I'm talking about three or 4% of the people that's here, you know, they're going to make a big stink about it. And then them kids going to age out. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? I think and, and it's going to continue to happen. So we, we just wanted to make sure that the laundry was aired out for one and mm-hmm. that we were able to identify the people that we can agree with. You know, who are the people that are there to agree with us on this shouldn't be happening to our kids? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It shouldn't be happening. It shouldn't be happening in front of our kids or any of those things. And I'm, listen, I'm glad, I'm blessed to be able to say that we haven't had any incidents like that happen in our family. And, and I do think that some of it is the fact that we, we, we are decently well-known in our kids' school. But as the kids get older, they're going to run into people that ain't got no sense, man. They're going to run into them. And, you know, I, I remember when the mural was out front, I took my oldest daughters outside and I showed it to them. And um, my niece was over here, too. And I showed it to them. I was like, listen. This is a big deal. And they were like, wow. I was like, cuz, man, 60 years ago, they might have been burning a cross in our front yard. Or there uh-huh. may have been something, there may have been something very different painted on our fence 50 years ago. So um, I'm at once uh, encouraged and discouraged. I'm, I'm very ambivalent about the subject, you know what I mean? Because I know that uh, it, it sucks that these things are happening. But I saw the way our street got behind us, and I know that there are other people in the, the community at large that can get behind it too, but we have to find a way to, to get it out there. You know what I mean? Cause listen, man, you, you, you go tell some kids clean up their room. They're going to throw everything under the bed and the room going to look clean. <laughs> <laughs> and people are happy with that. You know what I mean? And that's exactly yeah. But after a while it starts to stink. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And we are at the point where the room looks clean. But it stinks. Mm-hmm. At, one, at one point, right before we met about the round table or about the community's conversation, I met with our district administrative person. Mm-hmm. It's five people in the district who sit on the board, I guess. And oh, yeah. she was she was the representative. Mm-hmm. And I'm so certain that she went back and discussed that, hey, we have this couple who is trying to open this form to the community and this is the things that they're trying to get out and get done. And of course, a fluffed up email came out. Deer Creek is not standing for any racism and we want this to be a safe place for our students. Yada, 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 yada. And here we are several weeks later and we haven't heard anything else about what's going on in the community or how we can make our our non-white students feel safe. Like, period. Nobody's trying to do anything. Like, we sent out an email, we did our part. That's it. Right. But there's not a system of, there's not a, a new system in place for, for kids to go and report, even even white kids to go and report. I don't like the way this teacher uh, addressed this subject matter. I don't like no. how my friend was treated. I saw heard this and saw this in the hall. There was a joke done in the locker room. There's no mechanism. Uh, other than just a normal complaint. Well, we know that this is not, this is an elevated type of complaint these days. Mm-hmm. You know, people need to feel emotionally safe uh, at school and at work. Yeah. And that's the one thing yeah. that I specifically asked for is, it's, it might only be six schools, six to 10 schools in the district. And I asked specifically, can we get a person of color? I don't care what color they are, just not a white person, of color on staff 
as a resource person for kids to go to, to where they feel like their complaint is going to be taken seriously and funneled up appropriately. Or a parental volunteer. Or just anybody, Some, somebody in the school to, to be a resource, to be an advocate for our students who have these complaints. Because it's obvious that they're, they are there. Um, and for somebody to do something about it. But here we are. Yeah. A few weeks out from school starting, and we're more well, concerned I, I would about volunteer for that job, but I kind of got another job thing going. You know, he's, he's got to be sheriff and all. Right. Right. Maybe you can squeeze it in, Sheriff. Maybe right. you can squeeze it in. Cece, how much time we got? Because I got three questions I really want to ask. I know. We, we've got like five minutes. And I have one question, so don't hog up all the space, please. Okay. All Ask right. him. He's long-winded. Ladies first. Shut your mouth. Ladies, Ladies first. first. <laughs> yeah. Ladies first. You know what? Let me ask, um, ask this. And this might sound a little off, but for some reason, I feel like court could really answer this, uh, have a perspective on this. Um, the question is around balance and around the opportunity that the moment presents for communities of color. For me, the moment that we're in, George Floyd and all of the other unfortunate cases, for as an African-American person, for me, it presents a moment where it's okay. It's like, how do we wisely maximize and what does it mean to maximize? And for me, part of that means, okay, people are listening in a way that maybe they haven't listened in the past. We're 13% of the population. What should we be amplifying? And if we go back to civil, uh, the civil rights area and era and before, you know, there was a whole motto in our community that said, lift as you climb, right? So who is it that we need to lift as we climb? And for me, oh, no for me, it's native, the Native voice, Native Americans, considering the fact that we're 13% of the population, they are 2% of the population. I've got ideas around strong, passionate ideas around um, uh, mass native mascots and redskins and you know those kinds of names that this particular community for some reason nobody is listening to them you know what I mean like what is my responsibility now as a person of, of color to them what yeah, what do you think the moment what is your your perspective on kind of the moment and how we should best be using this moment the conversation should be me and Nitra were talking about this earlier um, those things that you talked about, mascots, redskins, stuff like that, that stuff's shallow. And as society as a, our society as a whole has gotten, right, it's it, it, that it's is gotten extremely shallow in terms of race. Like we are mile wide and an inch deep as mm -hmm. far as the race conversation is concerned. Mm -hmm. Because what we're dealing with really is the hearts of men. So it, it requires us to when people are ready to come to us and have that conversation and to listen to us, we gotta go into it with our hearts correct. Meaning if, if we are harboring thoughts like, listen, if you're silent, you're complicit, you're not going into the conversation with your heart right. You see what I'm saying? Because we have to be willing to hear things that bristle our sensibilities mm -hmm. and, and, and be able to, to accept them and respond with, and respond with something that edifies the person we're talking to. We shouldn't be looking to take something from people. We should be looking to give them something back. So yeah. if they say something that's basically ignorant to you, like, listen, man, I'm going to tell you something that's going to help lift you up going forward. But here's why somebody would take that as offensive. Right? Yeah. And, and we need to be willing to have that conversation. Like, we, we, we really do need to be willing to, instead of being right, we need to be willing to, 
I, I want to be right so bad that I'm willing to crack you over your head for it. Mm -hmm. That's what makes people clam up. Okay, that's fine. Right. She gave me time. She won't let me talk no more. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give y'all a challenge right here live on the podcast. And we can erase it if it, if it doesn't go well. We've never done this. But here we go. Let's role play for okay. the benefit of our listeners. Me and Cece are your 13 and 10 year old kids in a climate like this, have this conversation about race today. School's about to start. George Floyd has just happened. We've had this beautiful collection of, of art on our fence with perfect messages. There is a, uh, uh, we're going back to a school that hasn't necessarily listened to us exactly well, but we know that there are good hearts there. Uh, talk, give us the parental talk. You want give me us to the talk that you're going to give us. Me and CC are your, your little ones. Help, help our listeners understand what this, this talk is going to be like going into the start of the school year. So I told y'all I grew up on the east side, right? So I'm still real east side. So what version you want to hear? I, I want the people to hear how this conversation is going to go. Has went. We've had this conversation, but go ahead, though. I just want the kids, like, hey, look, don't be the target. You know, stand up for yourself. If somebody says something to you or makes you feel uncomfortable in any way, put them in their place. <laughs> But also be willing to have the conversation with people still, because our kids talk amongst themselves. They talk amongst their friends. Have the conversation. Educate people in your 13, nine-year-old capacity. And, and just, just do that. That, like, really just do that. I don't really have anything that I can say quickly that will work. But I just, I want my kids to be a lot like me. I'm looking at your face, and, and it is, and I'm a police officer. This ain't what you told them. <laughs> this is not exactly what you told tell my version of what I'm going to say. I haven't heard this crime. Person. Whatever it is, I ain't heard it either, so I'm interested. Yeah. Yeah. It is a crime to lie to the police. This is what I feel like your face was saying. Now you tell me if I'm wrong. Your face was saying, <laughs> your face was saying, listen, everybody ain't going to like you, and they ain't going to like you because of the color of your skin. And, and you are not going to be anybody's punching bag for that reason. Mm -hmm. But you mm -hmm. also have to recognize that you have to progress. We put you in here to learn. Mm -hmm. And there's certain things that you're going to have to let fall off of your skin. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely and, have that conversation. And, and your, your parents have proven to you by the fence that we've done, by the conversations you have with our neighbors, by moving you to this neighborhood, that we want the best for you. And we expect you to act your best. Yep. But don't you be nobody's punching bag. And Don't keep be. your head on the And you know I'm a phone call away. Don't <laughs> have go. no. We got your back. My I'll my maiden name is Rivers, and mm -hmm. people I, I I refer to myself as Anitra Thomas and Anitra Rivers, and they don't want Anitra Rivers to show up at the school. <laughs> I don't have no problem. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> okay. Oh my god. That's why they got two parents. Because yeah. they don't get they got a completely different message from me altogether. Yeah, let's get <laughs> it. Let's get it. What's the message the court gives? Listen, so full disclosure, we we Christian. I try to raise my kids Christian. Yeah. Uh, so it's always look, y'all, y'all know what the deal is. Y'all know what's what did sin do? It messed everything up. That's right. And men's hearts are corruptible. 
And whenever you get a group of people together, it doesn't matter what color those people are. Amen. It doesn't matter where they come from. You get three people together, you got the odds of having three good people. You get 10, one of them guaranteed to be rotten. You get 100, you're going to get 10 rotten people. You get 1,000, even more. You get groups of people together, no matter who they are, you're going to have bad actors out there. And some of those bad actors ain't going to like you because of what you look like. You know what I mean? That, that's, that's the way it works. But if you turn around and you say, oh, all fill-in-the-blank people are bad, you are no better than they are. You understand? And that's when those things happen, when things happen that make you feel uncomfortable, you know what time it is. Because she talked that talk, blah, 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 and I let her do all the screaming and hollering, and I don't come out from behind the rock until I have to. You ever seen, like, like those, those uh, documentaries where the female lions is fighting, and then one lion just come out from the back, and his beard <laughs> all messed up, and, and he roared, and everybody run away? I'm that guy. Right. <laughs> right. That's who I am for my family. So they already know what time it is. Man, I'm going to tell my daddy, or I'm going to tell my mama, and it's on. But what I don't want to do is hang the yoke of victimization around their neck. I don't want my children spending their time looking for the racist boogeyman up under every rock. I want them to spend their time okay. being nice at whatever it is they want to do. So, so I constantly walk that line. You know what I'm saying? I want to give them a realistic view of the world, but I also don't want them uh, walking around talking about every little bitty thing that's racist too. So we, we are open to having a discussion with our kids and, when they say things to us about, oh, this happened at school today, we're going to chop it up. We're going to talk about what that means, where it potentially comes from, all that type of stuff. Okay, we got to let uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce get on up out of here. <laughs> oh, my God, because you that guys, was that was That's so good. good. Yeah. That's a good conversation. <laughs> right. Yeah, you guys, you guys, like, y'all need to be, I just think there's just so much, there's just so much depth to, to you guys' conversation. I would love to have you back and seeing you talk more about all kinds of things. So thank you. Get this baby by herself. Okay, yeah, okay. Herself. that's it. That's it. <laughs> so listen, that's it. That's it for today, folks. Thanks for joining us, Anitra and Court. As always, this is CeCe Jones-Davis and yep. Waylon Hubert. We're always seeking common ground for the common good. And that's it for United Voice Oklahoma. Thanks, friends. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, thank guys. Thank y'all. Thank you for listening to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. If you like what you heard, please take time to leave us a review and share it with your friends and family. It really does help us to get these conversations out to more people. This podcast is a production of United Voice Oklahoma, one of the initiatives of the Stronger Together movement, and is produced by OKC Good and Reese Black. For more stories promoting a healthy relationship on race in Oklahoma, follow United Voice Oklahoma on Facebook or visit unitedvoiceok.org.